Blog Talk Radio. going to hit 60 next week. Excited about that. Goodness. Time to um time to get out there and get ready for all of this. Um I think that you uh told me that Jennifer is not going to be with us today. I don't think so, but I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think so. Got it. So, um the call in number for people, we don't have any callers yet, but we usually get a few at least 347 nine nine four two nine eight one and um press the number one and you'll be put through. Uh the fact that we have no callers is um well you know what I do have an interesting comment here. I haven't said it anywhere else. But I think that this is not a bad forum to say it in. Um the slap heard round the world. I didn't view it live because I don't watch those kinds of shows, but of course I had opportunity to see countless replays of the slap heard around the world. And of course this was the Will Smith, Chris Rock prime time slap. Um, and lots of people have been outraged by it and up in arms about it. Um, I guess my thinking is how come we aren't, similarly outraged about the 100,000 times a year or so that we are using corporal punishment on our kids' schools. Um, no, Will Smith didn't restrain or seclude Chris Rock, but shouldn't there be similar outrage about the number of times we're doing that to kids in school? I'm always fascinated by how outraged we become about things when in the shadows we are doing the exact same things and in many instances people don't even know about it or aren't as bothered by it if they do know about it. Fascinating. Fascinating phenomenon. That's something I've been thinking about a little bit lately. I should also mention that uh, this is only going to be a 30-minute program today because um, I have to hop off a little bit early, but um, we are going to jump straight into the email here. Are you ready? Sounds good. Here we go. This first one is uh, fairly recent. We are trying to implement your process with our seven-year-old son. We've gotten through all of the steps for Plan B, but what isn't clear to me is what do we do now 
to monitor his progress in meeting this expectation. And what happens if he doesn't meet the expectation? Now, the answer to that second question is easy. We'll get to that. We're only trying to work on one expectation, and we've agreed the way he will move through it, but he's seven, and he's not going to be perfect. So then what happens? Thanks for any reply you can provide. Um, we are happy to reply. The answer to and let, Kim, you want to take a stab at this first? I was about to jump in, but um, I'm happy to have you go first if you'd like. You, you may go right ahead. Thank you, Kim. Um, <laughs> your deference is rare and appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we like it. Um, the answer to question number two, what happens if, he doesn't meet the expectation as you go back to plan B. That's the easy question to answer. You go back to plan B because if you've come up with a solution and it's not working, um, then there must be something about that solution that caused it to not be working. And generally speaking, we talk about just a few possibilities for why a solution might not work. Possibly number one, it, the solution may not have been as realistic as it seemed. Um, and remember, you want to discuss, before you sign off on a solution, you want to discuss with the child whether both parties can actually do what they're agreeing to do. Don't, don't sign off on a solution before you do that. So possibly number one is that even though you discussed it, the solution wasn't as realistic as you thought it was. You thought it was, it wasn't. As I always say, that's not a plan B catastrophe. That's just a good reason to go back to plan B to get it sorted out. Possibly number two, the solution wasn't as mutually satisfactory as you thought it was. You talked about it. You agreed that the solution would address the concerns of both parties. It didn't, once again, not a plan B fail, just a good reason to go back to plan B to get it sorted out. Possibly number three, for why a solution might not work. You've only done plan B once on this unsolved problem, and by definition, the solution that you came up with would only address the concerns you heard about, but not the concerns you didn't hear about. And you may not have addressed all the concerns you heard about in that first plan B. You may have prioritized and addressed one but not others, plan B, to see if there are any concerns you either didn't hear about or weren't able to address in that initial plan B. So that is the seemingly simple answer to what happens if the solution isn't working yet. How do you monitor uh, progress in meeting the expectation? Well, I don't know if progress is the way I would think about it. What we're looking to do here is solve a problem. And here's what's interesting. The expectation that you talked with your son about in plan B is what got the ball rolling on getting the conversation going. But what you're really trying to do in plan B is address the concerns of both parties. The concerns of both parties are addressed. This problem is solved. So what we're basically looking for is for the problem to be solved. 
And I'm not looking for progress in the problem being solved necessarily. I think a good solution is going to solve the problem. Uh, I'm not necessarily looking for it to take time for the solution to work. I'm looking for solutions that are going to work pretty much right off the bat. That's what a realistic and mutually satisfactory solution is. So I get it. There are expectations we want your son to meet. Uh, you're not specific about what the expectation is. But let's say it's brushing teeth before going to bed at night, my standby uh, unsolved problem. Yes, if that expectation is now being met, your son is now fairly reliably brushing teeth before going to bed at night, uh, that expectation is now being met. But let's say your son's concern is that he didn't like the taste of the toothpaste. Your concern is that um, you don't want him to get cavities. Um, if those two concerns are addressed, technically, this problem is solved. Here's, here's, here's the interesting piece of that, and then I'll be quiet and we'll let Kim talk. Um, what if you learn something about brushing teeth before going to bed at night, and you're okay with mouthwash, a, 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 a mouthwash being used in lieu of brushing teeth before going to bed at night, a fluoride mouthwash? I'm not saying that you should be. I'm just saying... I've seen this solution. There were things that we heard about in the empathy step of Plan B that, um, uh, you know, the parent decided, okay, you know what, we're good with once-a-day teeth brushing, but I would like at least to get your teeth rinsed with a fluoride rinse before you go to sleep. Now, let's go back to the expectation. Brushing teeth before going to bed at night. Is that expectation now being met? No. The kid is not brushing their teeth before going to bed at night. But if because you heard something in the empathy step that made you think, you know what, the teeth brushing before going to bed at night is not really my biggest thing. I just want to make sure that my son rinses before going to sleep with a fluoride rinse. Then that original expectation is not being met. But the concerns of both parties are being addressed. Now, I hope I didn't confuse people further with that explanation, but that is the slightly more complicated answer to um, uh, the first question, which was how do we monitor the progress in meeting a particular expectation? Uh, I don't know if the original expectation is going to be met. That's actually not the definition. Problem being solved. Problem being solved means the concerns of both parties were addressed. And if a kid doesn't like the taste of the toothpaste but does like the taste of the fluoride rinse, and if the parents just want to make sure that the teeth are rinsed but not necessarily brushed, both concerns are being addressed, and that problem is solved. Kim, help me out here. Did that make sense? Oh, I think it made lots of sense. And as I've probably said before on the show, that brushing teeth as an unsolved problem um, before bed was what helped me to really understand what this model is all about. This is like many, many years ago, probably almost 20 years ago in residential care. Um, when we back then, we could force a lot of things to happen. We had the permission to do that. 
Um, it was not a good idea, and it rarely worked, and it was pretty unsafe. But um, we could not force teeth brushing. <laughs> and um, understanding that there are ways to meet adults' concerns about teeth brushing in other ways other than using a toothbrush and a certain toothpaste at a certain time of day um, was eye-opening for me because I'm, by nature, pretty rigid. And I kind of felt like, no, no, there's only one way to do this, right? But it turned out that there are actually other ways to address my concerns that teeth brushing um, takes care of. So that's, that was like just a pivotal moment for me. I'm actually thinking that we might want to create some sort of visual or some brief one-pager that articulates this point because it's something that um, I see a lot of folks get stuck on, right? Like that the goal is to get my expectation met. And maybe, but really the goal is to get your concerns addressed and there might be another way to do that and um, might not need it, but might need it. So I think that maybe we might want to work on um, something simple and brief that articulates that point. Um, yeah, and then I think the other piece I would add around specific to monitoring progress is just that um, the solution working rests on the partnership, not on the kid. And I always just like to reinforce that because um, sometimes, and I'm not suggesting that th this parent is doing that, but that sometimes we hear from um, adults that, you know, the solution didn't work, it's kind of on the kid, and it, and it is not. It's on the partnership together. So it's time to get curious. If the solution didn't work, it's time to get curious um, for the reasons that you mentioned. Thank you very much. I think that clarified it very well. Um, I like to tell the story of the parent that I was working with once who caught me in a certain mood, and they asked me, should we punish the child if a solution isn't working? And I think my very flip response was, didn't you sign off on the solution too? Maybe we should punish you instead. Now, I don't think I would say that that way again or most of the time, but that speaks to the fact that um, a solution not working is not a fail on the part of the kid. It's just a solution that's not working. You both worked on it. You both came up with it. You both agreed that it was realistic and mutually satisfactory and it was not working, you're both on the hook for going back to plan B and finding a solution that will be more realistic and mutually satisfactory. We have another email to talk about. This is also a fairly recent one. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. This is a long one, this is a long one. I have been working on screen time with my daughter, seven and a half years old. This is a very touchy subject and has the potential to launch the house into World War III. I have told my daughter repeatedly that her watching is not really the issue. The issue is that other parts of life are not happening. For example, going to bed, proper physical movement, eating, school, etc. So for a while, we tried to go by the recommended guidance of two hours per day for leisure screen time. After reading The Explosive Child in January 2021, I decided to implement Plan B in our lives. We are, in, we are on version three for screen time with lukewarm buy-in from my daughter. And I will say that that sentence is the one that is most important so far. Buy-in has been lukewarm. But here we go. Solution versions. Number one, 
My daughter's solution was to limit the iPad time by controls. So we limited her viewing to two hours on weekdays and three hours on weekends using the iPad controls. When her two hours were up, she was asked to join class. It was World War III in the house. She flies into a rage when you tell her the viewing time is over. She will also look for other ways to see screens, for example, asking to do a yoga class on the TV. For solution number two, my daughter then asked for even stricter restrictions. For example, 15 minutes for breakfast, 30 minutes for lunch, school is virtual, and the rest at the end of the day. We were able to cobble this restriction together. However, this also resulted in World War III in the house. By the way, I think that this one bears tremendous similarity to the one we just did, but I'll keep going. Solution version number three. When asked about what's going on, she told me I was pushing my solution on her. She also mentioned that the previous solution was unpredictable because she was given extra time randomly. Her new solution is unlimited watching and a written schedule to manage watching. For solution number three, we are trying unrestricted viewing with a schedule. I would be fine with this, but I can't get her to help me with the schedule. She is too busy watching. When she watches without restrictions, her outbursts are more violent and last longer. I'm sure you will tell me to then tackle that problem, i.e., I notice you're having difficulty helping me with the daily schedule to structure your iPad time, what's up? However, I'm not sure she will even listen to me. She is too busy watching. A little bit longer. Her engagement. I've had success with the Plan B strategy with smaller things. I would let iPad viewing go right now as Plan C and work on other issues, but if I do that, there will be no bedtime or proper eating or school. On the few days in the past when she has been given unlimited iPad viewing, for example, holidays, her outbursts are much worse when we ask her to go to bed or do simple things. In the example of bedtime, she is unable to put herself to bed. So letting her put herself to bed on her own is a non-starter. She will stay up as long as she can and then come to look for me when it is time to sleep. Since I need sleep as well, I can't be going to bed at midnight and getting up before 6 a.m. A little bit more here. I did some traditional parenting classes, coaching, for about seven months. I was told I was going to have to experience a reaction as violent as my daughter can give for every aspect regarding the issues in the house. I am really trying to avoid this. I'm not physically, I cannot physically withstand the physical abuse I receive on a weekly basis. Finally, thank you for verifying that natural consequences and punishments do not work for children who have lagging skills. I've tried to tell a psychologist who I worked with in 2020 to help with the outburst that I had never seen natural consequences or my imposed punishments work on my daughter. It does not seem to sink in with her. They acted like I did not know how to use natural consequences, set limits, or implement consequences with my daughter. So, plan B. All right, Kim. Let's see if we can give this mom some help. Do you want to give it a whirl first? I am. I took notes because I am not an auditory processor, so I'm going to let you go first because I'm worried about missing something, although I would start by saying, you know, so pleased for mom that she uh, stuck to her guns around understanding that um, consequences weren't getting the job done and looked for another way. So that's fantastic. But I'm going to let you kick it off and then I can chime in. All right. Here's the piece that I am missing. Almost all the solutions 
were arrangements related to time. What I'm missing is what's making it hard for the kid to get off screen time. I get it. Difficulty getting off the screen time launches the house into World War III. Um, interesting little tidbit here that watching is not really the issue. The issue is other parts of life that are not happening. Going to bed, that's an unsolved problem independently. Proper physical movement, that's an unsolved problem independently. Eating, independent unsolved problem. School, independent unsolved problem. So my first thought is, well, this is actually my second thought, then I'll get back to my first thought. My first thought is I don't think we want to be using a solution to screen time as the mechanism by which we will be solving these other problems. Those other problems, I get it, they may be connected with screen time, but I would be treating each of those unsolved problems as independent unsolved problems. Now, back to point number one. Uh, you might act, but sticking with point number two for a second, just because I had another random thought, you actually might be able to make some headway on the other unsolved problems if you're not going through the screen time unsolved problem as the way to get those other ones solved. And I, I get it. I appreciate the connection. I'm just not sure going through screen time as the way to solve those other problems is going to be your best bet. All right. What I'm missing, and this goes back to thought number one, is I don't know what's making it hard for your daughter to get off. I get it that she's having difficulty getting off. All of the solutions are about time. Time solutions are only going to address concerns that your daughter has about time. I don't know enough. And therefore, I'm thinking that solutions that are related to time have an excellent chance of not addressing concerns that are really completely unrelated to time. I'd want to know more about what your daughter is doing when she's on the screen. I'd want to know about whether she's interacting with other kids while she's on the screen, whether that's hard to end, whether she's playing games um, with other people on the screen and it makes it very difficult to stop at a certain time. I'm wondering if she's... Um, worried about losing her level on some game. There are so many things that your daughter might be having difficulty with that solutions that are oriented around time might not address. So um, in terms of tricks for engagement, try to make an appointment with your daughter. That's, I wouldn't call that a trick. I would just say um, she's not playing on the screen 100% of the time, is she willing to make an appointment with you to discuss this? Um, and then you're not interrupting screen time to try to have the discussion. That would be emergency plan B, and you'd rather do this proactively. So that's the best trick, and I wouldn't call it a trick, to see if we can get your daughter engaged in the discussion. But my biggest recommendation is um, since all of the solutions are around time and they are not solving the problem, Let's find out more information about what's making it hard for your daughter to get off screen time 
there's a lot more work to be done in the empathy steps to find out what's going on. And by the way, one last point. Um, if you ask me, do I think a reward or a punishment, as you might be taught in the traditional parenting classes that you mentioned, would address whatever is making it hard for your daughter to get off the screen? The answer is clearly no. And so I'd rather have you stick with plan B, even though your initial attempts at solving what, by the way, is admittedly a very difficult problem to solve, even if your initial attempts at plan B aren't getting the job done, I don't foresee traditional parenting strategies getting it done either. Kim, you're on. I think you pretty much covered it. I have the exact same thought of not really understanding what the child's concern is that these time-related solutions would actually address. So I think you covered it. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> I'm going to look and see if we have any super quick emails we can answer in the few minutes that we have left here. Uh, let's try it. Are you ready? Okay. I think we can do it. I recently discovered CTS and think it is fantastic. My son is 16, and I wish I had this wonderful tool when he was five. And practicing plan B and feel pretty confident. However, I am stuck on the expectations part. To teach myself CPS, I am watching your videos and listening to the podcast starting in 2010, but I can't seem to find a good explanation of what the expectation is. Is the expectation another word for family rule? For example, our current unsolved problem is getting up in time to be ready when school starts. Fed, dressed, contacts in and at the computer. If it is our family belief, rule, that you should be up and ready when school starts, is that the expectation? seems that sometimes the expectation does not have room for collaboration. Is that correct? Is that what we are working collaboratively to make sure the expectation can be met? What if the youth says, I hate school, and they don't really say anything important for the first 30 minutes anyway? Why do I have to be there on time? This is where I get stuck. Standing is that the plan B is to work on what is making it hard to get up and ready on time. There may also need to have a plan B discussion about what makes going to school hard, too. Is there a particular podcast or video that will help me better understand the expectation part of the process? Thank you for your help. Kim, let's give you that one. All right. Well, I would, I would start by saying that, I mean, you can think of expectations as family rules, if that's helpful as far as what you think is important given the child that you have and the household that you're running, right? Um, so screen time from the last email is a great example of how that's going to differ. The expectations around screen time are going to differ household to household, depending on the family situation, age of the child, and a bunch of other factors, right? Um, so having the expectation that your son be up on time um, with those other things done prior to the start of school is a fine, likely realistic expectation. Um, and... I was going to go off a little bit, but I think I'll stay on this track. I would also say that getting the information from him that they don't say anything important for the first 30 minutes anyway is, the, is some good information. It's the start of his concern and understanding what he's thinking and where he's coming from and his perspective about this. Um, 
probably actually a pretty critical piece. So it's time to start drilling about that to really fully understand um, what that's about and any other uh, things that might come up around that. Like, you know, is he tired in the morning? And so he's thinking, I'm tired. They don't really say anything for 30 minutes. So I'm just going to kind of stay cozy in bed or, you know, something like that. So um, I think you've actually off to a good start about um, his perspective on the problem the other thing I might suggest is that you listed off a couple different things he needs to do in order to be considered ready for school to start, putting in his contacts, right? I think you said um, that he's fed. Um, obviously, he gets out of bed. He's dressed, right? So you could choose to separate those into different unsolved problems and work on one of those at a time as opposed to putting them all together into like a morning routine, one unsolved problem. Sometimes that gets a little bit murky. And there might be different things at work um, for each of those tasks. Maybe. I don't know. I love it. I, I think, Mom, your expectation is fine. I don't think you're stumped on what's the expectation. Uh, what stumped you a little bit is your son basically kind of, in so many words, telling you that you shouldn't have to worry about it. But as Kim was saying, that's just the beginning of you gathering information in the empathy step. You, you might hear what sound like showstoppers in the empathy step, but that means you're gathering information from your son, and you all were actually well on your way to solving that problem because you weren't sure what your expectation was. Your expectation was fine. Keep going. On that note, we're going to call it a day. We'll be back next month with another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Tim, as always, thank you. Thanks so much.